The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 65. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the original series episode, The Enemy Within. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Welcome back, Father Corey. Oh, glad to be back. I had a good retreat last week, but it feels good to be back. Excellent. Uh, First, I want to say about this podcast, I've heard from some listeners who have come to this podcast from other SQPN podcasts, which is always, we love to hear that, uh, and who... Say things like, I never watched the original series. I only watched Next Gen or, D- or DS9 or something like that. Uh, and But because you guys are talking about it, I started watching it, and I love it. Uh, and and mm-hmm. I really, that's really gratifying, and that really feels great to hear that people are kind of broadening their, their world of Star Trek right. because we talk about all the different stuff. Well, and, and I, as I've said on the podcast before, I'm one of them. I really have not watched a lot of the original series. I've seen a few episodes before we started the podcast. So this has been great for me as well to be able to broaden my experience. <laughs> well, you're younger father. I mean, I was growing up when the only Star Trek to be had was the original series. Yeah, so. yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> by, the, by the time I was aware of Star Trek, the movies were coming out. The first movies were coming out. So. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's, it's so great to, to hear that. Uh, by the way, the last, last time we had uh, the Babylon 5, uh, the last, not last time as you're listening to this, but uh, uh, recently, uh, well, it came out today as we're recording this. That's why I'm confusing. I'm time traveling here. (laughs) The Deep Space Nine Babylon 5 comparison, one that I wasn't able to be be here for because I was on vacation. Uh, Great episode. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen. Uh, It's such, it's so great because it shows that just because you're a Trekkie doesn't mean you can't like Star Wars or Babylon 5 or other things and that. That we can all live together in peace. <laughs> yeah. There's there's actually, and we didn't talk about this in that episode, but there's actually a nice meta reference to that in Babylon 5. Because um, in Babylon 5, you know, when it launched, there was a big, like there always is, there was a ruckus in fandom about do you like Star Trek or do you like Babylon 5, as if you couldn't like both. Right. And so there was some friction between the different fan bases. And... Joe Michael Straczynski invited Majel Barrett to come on mm-hmm. Babylon 5 and, right. and as a character. She played the wife of the Centauri, one of the wives of the Centauri Emperor, and she was a prophetess who had, you know, a vision that was important to the series about what was going to happen in Babylon 5. But by this point in Babylon 5, the war had started involving the Centauri and the Narn, and she talked about how 
this and the emperor was dead at this point. And um, she talked about how this destructive conflict was never my husband's dream. Yeah. Well, I mean, they also the crossover of, uh, you know, Walter Koenig in both, you know, I mean, that's the, yep. the, I think Straczynski, I'm pretty sure Straczynski was a fan. Uh, I'd run into oh, yeah. him online mm-hmm. before Babylon five. Uh, mm-hmm. And I and I got the sense he was a Star Trek fan, so that's that's cool. Oh yeah, he, he and Bryce Zabel even a few years ago pitched a reboot project oh, for I Star Trek. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they were gonna they were gonna uh, do a TV version reboot, which would have basically been the original series rebooted. And they said they I read their proposal, and it would have like a third of the episodes would have been taken would be remakes of the original series. Mm. And then about a third of them would be new by TV writers. And about a third of them would be new by science fiction writers, Mm. which was kind of the formula that the original series had tried to use. They had people like Theodore Sturgeon, who was a famous science fiction writer at the time writing episodes. I mean, he wrote like a muck time, one of the most famous episodes of all that dealt with Spock's marriage to T'Pring. And of course, Harlan Ellison writing city on the edge of forever, which is another of the most famous Mm -hmm. Star Trek episodes. All right, so uh, so that actually is a good segue into talking about today's episode, which we're going to be t- discussing, uh, which is called The Enemy Within. And this is a take on the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde story by Robert Louis Stevenson. I mean, that's very clearly mm-hmm. inspired by yep. Heck, Jekyll and Hyde. Um, yep. It's also the first time they hit they, uh, the terrible abuse of the transporter technology on Star Trek. There's <laughs> so many scientific holes. In the transporter no, to begin with. <laughs> no wonder Dr. McCoy doesn't want to travel through that thing. Uh, nobody should yeah. get in it. The, the as what, what have we called it before? The uh, the, uh, the the murder du- duplicating machine? Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> so what, what I find, so we got a couple of things here. Not only is this technology obviously dangerously unsafe. Yes. Um, but um, we have... I mean, you can kind of excuse that because, I mean, we do have airplane crashes and car crashes here on Earth. And this, you can say, well, we just happen to focus on a transporter crash in this episode. Right. Um, Then you've got the problem of where does all Kirk's extra mass come from? Right. That was one of my notes. And but you can excuse that because apparently, I mean, depending on the version you listen to of how the transporter works, you know, it's it's pulling energy from somewhere else. So presumably it came out of the all that extra mass came out of the Enterprise's power reserves. Right. Right. Um, But the real problem here is the good evil thing. Yeah. How yeah. on earth do you split a person into good and evil? And and they do have some acknowledgement that it's not all it's not pure good versus pure evil. Um McCoy notes that the good Kirk got more of certain qualities and the bad Kirk got more of other qualities, yeah. but neither one of them has a monopoly. Well, um, and a lot of the qualities are they are split on traits that we consider positive versus negative. Right. You mm-hmm. know, not so much good versus evil traits. I mean, if you want to throw some science mm-hmm. language at it, you could talk about differences in brain chemistry and and how certain like because we know like through psych- psychiatry, different you know brain chemicals cause people to be more or less, say, violent and aggressive or uh, in the so the evil Kirk, as we'll call him. Uh, obviously got all the testosterone <laughs> out of the package, <laughs> uh, for example. 
but but so I mean, you could wave at that. It's it's still. I mean, it, it makes it, it's really ridiculous scientifically, but it's an, an interesting story. And once you give them that, you can proceed. And that's the really interesting part of this is the question that they kind of start with is what makes us who we are. You know, the, that duality that we find in ourselves is it necessarily right. a bad thing? Well, and it's and it's like they point out the evil Kirk has the aggression. Well, aggression also allows us to make quick decisions that are needed right. for command. Gives you force of will. Force of will. Right. You know. Yeah. So so let's let's talk about this story as we as and we'll we'll as we encounter some of the the moments in the story that where we see this. We'll we'll bring it up hopefully and 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 kind of elucidate on it. Uh, so we start with a camping trip on Alpha 177. Uh, which yeah, and they spell Alpha funny. It's not the Greek spelling. <laughs> yeah, or it's not the typical English spelling of Alpha. Yeah, it's, it, it's <laughs> actually the military alphabet spelling of Alpha. If you, if, oh. So uh, I don't know if it's Roddenberry or – I mean, all these guys were probably in – you know, had served in World War II or Korea at, at this point. So it's probably something to do with that. Uh, Sulu is uh, walking around holding this pink yap dog with a horn. <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> I felt so sorry for that dog. You, you know, it had to be drugged as calm as that dog was. Okay, <laughs> no I mean, it's like a unidog. I don't know what you call a dog with a one horn off the forehead. Um, and then you have this. They're they're surveying the planet, and uh, this crewman, clumsy Fisher, Fisher. Yep, he he falls and cuts his hand, but he's also covered in yellow ore. Uh, I mean, this guy could be one of my kids. I mean, just to be honest, here, yeah. <laughs> you're covered in mud. Your hand is cut. Uh, so he has to beam back up to the ship to get treated by by McCoy, uh, and when they do, Scotty has some trouble materializing him on the transporter pad. I, this guy was almost a goner for a second there, I think. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then Scotty scans him with this instrument. It turns out that the instrument that he's scanning him with is in real life a radiation detector. So it's, it was a real scientific instrument. Oh, is it an actual radi radiation de detector? Yeah. That's funny. Like, everybody had one of those in the 60s, I think, or something. I don't know. <laughs> actually, actually, they were quite common. Um, in Beginning in the 50s, the U.S. Uh, embarked, and not a lot of people remember this, but the U.S. The US embarked on a let's find uranium project here in the U.S. where you could oh, wow. make a lot of money if you found uranium ore. And so there were lots of people going around with radiation detectors <laughs> looking for uranium. That just sounds like a bad idea. But, uh, but you know, in, we, we don't, in, in, in nature, it's not a problem. It's right. only the refined uranium that's, that's true. the problem. Right, right, right. That's just uh, that was the 50s version of using a metal detector on the beach, apparently. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in nature, I mean, prior to the 1940s, the principal use of uranium was as a yellow glaze for dinnerware. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, that's how safe it is. People were literally eating off of it. Mm, that's <laughs> or going into radon caves. Uh, uh, total tangent. I remember a story that came out last year, the year before, about uh, a national park or some sort of park system place where out west, where they were, someone had stored uranium in a bucket in this uh, museum. Uh, like it's like a, a park museum uh, for where, where mm -hmm. they were as a mine, but they've been storing this uranium in a bucket in the museum for years, and all these people had come through. But this was slightly higher than what they consider safe exposure levels. Mm -hmm. So uh, thousands and thousands of people had been exposed to it over the years. So uh, just as long as those none of those people use the transporter, I think they're okay. Um, yeah. So would. So when Kirk beams up after Fisher, 
um, Scotty had not shut things down. I think he, the captain said, I'm, I want to come up. And Scotty over, I bet Scotty overrode his instincts, shut it down, and figure out yeah. what's going on. Uh, so, you know, this is what, what there's a, there's a principle, like a management principle where, uh, we override, uh, there was the, the failure at NASA when the, the Challenger exploded, where mm-hmm. the, the principle of we just keep moving forward. There's a bias mm-hmm. toward continuing. Kind of the, the law of inertia with, with regard to decisions. Yes. Yeah. I think Scotty fell, fell into that. So Kirk has trouble getting beamed aboard. Uh, the first sign for Scotty should have been the fact that Kirk's uniform was missing its insignia. Uh, did anyone else notice that? <laughs> he had no insignia on his shirt. I, I don't know what that was about. Maybe it's just a costume problem. Or they meant to I, mean I, something. I didn't notice that, but I did notice something later in the episode like that. Okay. We'll, we'll come to that, I, I bet. Uh, and then uh, Scotty wants to wa- – Kirk feels a little faint, so Scotty wants to walk him to sickbay. Um, and apparently which, – which, which he doesn't go to. Right. He doesn't actually go to yeah. sickbay. <laughs> uh, he's probably at, in the hall somewhere. Like he says to him, no, 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 I'm fine. Just leave me alone. But apparently it's protocol that the transporter room should never be left – uh, unattended, which they violate on a continual basis as yes. necessary going forward from this point. Well, I love that. He says, don't leave it unattended, and then it's going to all be back in just a minute. Yes. Or he says, Wilson, the transporter tech, will be back in just a minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it, it may not be that you have to have someone there at all times, but maybe like when there are people down on the planet that right. may need emergency beam out, you need someone there at all times. That sounds like a, a very good uh, safety protocol. Uh, but yeah, but it but in any case the transporter activates itself. Why why would it activate itself? Uh, I assume that this is like a, a a charge that has been built up and has to be discharged. Uh, um, it's like really there was one activation, but it resulted in the duplication, and they came through the system at different times. I wonder right. if there's maybe a safety a safety measure in the system that says. If something's in the buffer for for too long, materialize it so that it right, doesn't something degrade like that. or something. Yeah, which um, could also have like real catastrophic issues if someone can hack into the safe into the buffer and load something like a bomb. But <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I see a plot uh, for uh, for a future episode of Star Trek uh, Discovery or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know he's evil, Kirk, who beams up because he's lit from below. I mean, that's just clearly yeah, you're evil, and he's. He's got more mascara. Yeah, he's got like eyeliner <laughs> mascara on. That I mean, that's just you know, that's and, and, clearly and Shatner evil. At, Shatner at his best, worst acting. Oh my gosh, Shatner yeah. chews the scenery in this one like no end of tomorrow. <laughs> this is it's the Shatner at his best if he can do this sort of stuff. Um, we already talked about where does the matter for evil Kirk come from? Uh, meanwhile, good Kirk shows up in his quarters to lie down. Uh, because he's he's feeling faint. While Evil Kirk goes to sick bay and menaces McCoy for sorry and brandy, like he's like that frat brother on on Sunday morning who's had too much to drink last night and comes in growling at you for the hair of the dog. You know, I mean, he's just like, just give me sorry and brandy. <laughs> and you yeah, know, well, he like grabs McCoy by the neck <laughs> yeah. and demands the sorry and brandy. This is, I believe, our first instance of sorry and brandy as well. Oh, yes. Mm. Uh, and of course, we get to see a Saurian in again Star Trek Discovery. In Discovery, yeah, which yeah. is a lot of fun. Uh, so <laughs> Kirk wanders the halls of the Enterprise, swigging from the bottle. I'm surprised he didn't stop to change into a white T-shirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a white sleeveless T-shirt, so uh, swigging from his bottle <laughs> down the hallways. Uh, and uh, he goes to Yeoman Rand's quarters. Now, this 
this this is the a tricky part. Now, we'll come mm-hmm. back to Yeoman Rand because at this point they cut away to Spock. Um, yeah. Because McCoy called Spock when Kirk, you know, was acting a little odd, <laughs> shall we say. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, of course... The good Kirk doesn't has no idea what's going on. He's like, I, I don't, right. you know, I've been here. Uh, this is really weird. And Spock says that McCoy has said you were acting like a wild man in in sickbay, and Kirk's like, No, I've been here the whole time. What are you talking about? The doctor has been having you on again. So apparently, <laughs> McCoy has been pranking Spock, and yeah. we haven't just haven't seen it on screen. But he's been pranking Spock, and Kirk tells Spock that I'll let the doctor know you were suitably annoyed. <laughs> yes. This is the boy who cried wolf. You know, this is how it is. Yep. Uh, Scotty, meanwhile, has made the Jekyll and Hyde discovery with the weird alien dog that got beamed up. Uh, yeah. And then uh, now, interesting. We, another first in this episode is the good Kirk wearing the wraparound uniform shirt. The green one. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Apparently, they, they, they kind of invented that for this episode so that we could distinguish. Just tell the, the two Kirks apart. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. They give us a couple of ways of doing it. One is bad Kirk has scratches on his face, and the other is good Kirk has the green wraparound. Right. Yep. Now, I, I'm also little... one of them acts good and one of them acts bad. You can use <laughs> yeah. that to tell them apart, too. There's that, too. The eyeliner is a clear indicator as well. The good yeah. Kirk would never wear eyeliner. Um, I, I'm surprised. Not that much. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised that when Scotty, you know, has the two dogs, they don't go, huh, I wonder if this could have happened to a person that beamed up. I don't know, Fisher or the captain. Like, well, well they, they kind of did, though. They kind of go, "Boy, this would be terrible if this happens to a person. We got to make sure that doesn't happen." Right. And they literally so left it at that. It's like, yeah. So we can't use it to beam up the guys on the planet, and it just didn't occur to them. Wait, could this have happened to either of the two people we just beamed up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that the the Enterprise has shuttles. To fly down and pick up fuel yeah. and the rest because <laughs> yeah. the temperatures. Are, oh wait, we don't actually. For some reason, we cannot fly fly shuttles down. Uh, well, because, that's that's another. You know, had they even mentioned the idea of shuttles in the series yet? They had right. not. Right. Yeah, and this that's is part like, of it. This is like episode five or something, and shuttles aren't introduced for all, at least another five episodes after this. Right. In fact, the whole purpose of the transporter was so that they didn't have to build shuttle sets or or create special effects of a shuttle flying through space. It was a well, cost. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to this very disturbing scene, which is when bad Kirk goes into Yeoman Rand's uh, quarters, Janice Rand. Um, this, this is clearly out and out sexual assault. I mean, this is, Oh yeah, this is bad. Uh, and you know, when, when she's able to call for help, she gets to the door, calls for help. It happens to be, the extra that they hired for this episode, the speaking extra, yeah. uh, Crewman Fisher, uh, and Kirk, bad Kirk, jumps him and punches him out and runs off, cackling in down the halls, you know. Uh, or, well, he doesn't really cackle. He doesn't really cackle, yeah. but this, you, you almost Close expect enough. him to. Um, so it's, it's, I don't And know. also in the struggle, so Kirk attacks Rand, yeah. bad Kirk attacks Rand, and she scratches him, and then she, Fisher comes by and, and, that gets the attack stopped. Yeah. Um, so and something that's else, basically what happens. Something else is said here where the where Bad Kirk says, um, we've both been pretending too long. And that's really, there's really kind of been this, I mean, there's only a few episodes into the series, but there was sort of this understanding early on that Janice was going to sort of be a love interest. There might be possibly be this connection between the captain and the yeoman 
Uh, I'm glad they didn't eventually go there because yeah, it just makes it it's awkward. really unprofessional. Yeah, that would yeah. be bad, bad for Kirk, uh, bad career move. But so, so there's this is kind of brought up, and so poor Janice has to kind of has to deal with the fact that this comes out uh, later on, especially as she's telling others about it. Um, when when good Kirk is confronted, they go and investigate because of course, of course, good Kirk has no alibi. He was alone in his quarters sleeping. Yep. Yeah, and they have really poor preliminary investigation tactics for this thing. I mean, Kirk is right there in the room with the accuser (laughs) while the initial interview is being done. I mean, I understand everyone ultimately has a right to confront their accuser, but having a sexual assault charge there when... I mean, it's the captain captain. and he's standing right there in the room. not Not just was he standing right there, he started the interview. Yeah. Right. So what are you saying? He I was did? involved in the interview. So <laughs> right, yeah, it, yeah, that was a little. Uh. So Spock says the only logical answer is that there's an imposter on board. Um, because it's nice that he gets to that conclusion so quickly. Yeah. Uh, now, like, as one of the Kirk's defenses is, look, do you see scrapes on my face? Of course not. Uh, apparently, they have not come up with a dermal regenerator yet. That's not a exactly they have. Mm. Uh, so. Then we have the, the good by, Kirk. By the way, before we move on from the investigation, I want to note one other thing that is uncomfortable from a modern perspective. Um, Rand, and this is kind of subtle. It, it's not really out there. It's not, they don't go too, they don't go way far in this direction. But Rand is initially hesitant. She She says she doesn't want to get Kirk in trouble. And she wouldn't have even mentioned this, except circumstances forced this out. Um, but you get this almost, I would be willing to cover for you thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, up at least up to a point. And that, from a modern perspective, is much more uncomfortable. It's, right. I think it's, a, it's an artifact of the 60s when this was made. Yes, yes, very clearly. Uh, and we'll come back to this whole episode, this whole thing that happened with Janice at the end, because uh, there's a quote from the actress, Grace Lee Whitney. I want to talk about when we get to the end of discussing the episode, because of what ha- something happens at the end of the episode that really draws it out. But uh, yeah. we'll come back to that. Uh, but Spock confronts Good Kirk, because as the, the story goes on, as the events unfold, Good Kirk is becoming more and more indecisive, passive, vulnerable, and Spock calls him on it. He tells him, you can't be vulnerable. You can't be less than perfect in the eyes of the crew. It, it's interesting that Kirk is weakening in this way. So it's yeah. not like they had the traits fixed exactly upon the transporter duplication. They're, they're continuing to change, yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which is interesting. I thought the, the speech that Spock gives Kirk was kind of, Okay, I can imagine this as military posturing. You know, it's kind of over dramatic dialogue. What he I, I wrote down the exact quote for part of it is you can't afford to be anything less than perfect. Yeah. And like in the eyes of the crew. And I'm going, uh, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that the crew on any ship knows their captain is not perfect. Exactly. Um right. <laughs> I mean father Father Corey, maybe you can speak to that. Uh, did you ever think any of your superior officers were perfect? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a lot of scuttlebutt no. on ships about the no. captain's flaws. Well, obviously, I don't have experience <laughs> on ships, but I can just say, yeah. you know, oh yeah, we 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 knew our superiors, and we knew how 
fail or flawed they were. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we won't make you tell us any more than that. Uh, those guys. Well, I couldn't. I probably to... couldn't remember any. I couldn't remember any stories. But it's yeah. just. Yeah, we we knew that. Of course, we knew that we were we were flawed too. But you know, we we knew stories, and it was more important: were they good leaders? Even yes. knowing yeah. they were flawed, were they good leaders? Yeah, it's like in any workplace. Everybody knows their boss has flaws and quirks, but are they a good boss? Right. Yeah. I think I think what Spock really wants to say is is they need to know that you're decisive, that you're in control, right. that you know what you know the right thing to do next. Uh, and yep. that's, I think that's the key, the key to that leadership that he's looking exactly. for. Because if you're following this, this guy's got your life in his hands. He's given you orders that may risk your life. You don't want him to be kind of a, a quizzling, uh, to, to yeah. use a older term. So he, you don't want him to be a Norwegian traitor to the Nazis. I do. No, I do not want. Uh, <laughs> 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 so, uh, so, uh, you look it up folks. So, uh, he orders Spock to tell him, you know, your orders are to tell me when I'm slipping again. So, uh, very Ooh. strong orders there. <laughs> Luckily, I got this. I got the sense that he was about to say, "If you catch me slipping again, you're to take over." Right. And then he backed off and said, "You're to tell me." Right. Yeah. That, 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 yeah. There was a little bit of that hesitation in the voice. So, luckily, now Evil Kirk is uh, gets back to his cabin. In addition to eyeliner, he apparently also has flesh-colored makeup in his quarters. Uh, yeah, exactly. so Good Kirk may not may go easy on the eyeliner, but wow, he's got base. He's keeping base <laughs> in his in his wardrobe. Got to keep his perfect skin to go along with his perfect orders and personality. <laughs> he knows how to apply it, so he puts it on there to mask his uh, his scratches on his face. Uh, he takes a uh, it's, the, the uh, Kirk, Good Kirk, and Spock have ordered everyone to be carrying phasers, be on the lookout for his duplicate. Um, good uh, Evil Kirk confronts a crewman. Uh, I think it's Wilson from the transporter. Uh, yes, another one, another uh, yep. SAG uh, actor that we have to get the per diem out of for his lines. <laughs> he confronts him, takes his phaser, and then knocks him out. Uh, and then uh, Spock and Good Kirk go down to engineering. They're trying to figure out where if Kirk if Kirk was was hiding, which he is. Where would I go? Uh, so they go down to the the engineering spaces and they confront him and try to convince Good Kirk tries to convince Bad Kirk they need each other. That they give each yeah. other whatever. Um, you can't kill me. We're part of each other. Yeah, Evil Kirk's having none out of it. <laughs> so as Spock neck pinches Bad Kirk, Bad Kirk First shoots- introduction of the neck pin. Is that this one? Okay. Nice. This is the first introduction of the neck pinch. And it wasn't in the script. Um, the script just said for Spock to KO Bad Kirk. And Spock decided that that was a little un-Vulcan. Yes. And so he came up with the neck pinch as an alternative to punching people. Interesting. Nice. Because, yeah, back but, at this era, the KO was a neck chop, like a, like a chop to the neck, which... Uh, think, think of some of the Kirk moves. Yes. <laughs> Shatner had no problem doing, doing the, and, the neck chops. Uh, and, and by the way, as all this is going on, there's the subplot of the crew, Sulu and the crew on the planet that are freezing to death because they can't be beamed up. And of course, they don't have shuttles. So, yeah, yeah. it's apparently absolute zero or something. <laughs> yeah, it was like 175 degrees below zero. Now, we don't I, mean, I was assuming Fahrenheit, uh, which isn't quite be, as yeah. bad as 175 Celsius. But uh, at, at 175, yeah. it doesn't really matter. <laughs> no. Nope. Believe me, from experience, below about 30 below. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I found it interesting that um, they Spock says they tried transporting thermal heaters down, but they duplicated. And so the 
good and bad heaters wouldn't work at that point. <laughs> Maybe um, one had the fuel and the other had the lighting yeah, element. I don't and know. There's no way to bridge the two. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, what I want to know though, is why, if the thermal heaters didn't work, how about the non-thermal heaters? Why didn't you transport down some non-thermal <laughs> yeah, heaters? Because thermal heaters <laughs> are, are just too complicated. Just use regular heaters, uh, the cold heaters. <laughs> I mean, at least you have, you have them using the, the phasers to heat rocks. So at least yes. you got Yeah, that. no, that's cool. I like that. An effect that we will never see again. Uh, so, uh, there, there's this little, this, this very nice exchange between Kirk and Sulu. Uh, as he's talking to him on the planet where um, we see Sulu's um, his sense of humor and personality mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, we get a lot of banter out of Sulu in this episode. Yes, we did. Uh, Sulu, do you think we might be able to find a long rope and lower us a pot of coffee? You know, I mean, the, yeah. which, which I mean, he's, he's guys freezing to death and, you know, or rice wine or exactly. rice wine. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but, but as, as uh, Spock was neck ping- pinching bad Kirk, uh, bad Kirk phaser day, it just happened to phaser the the transporter equipment. You know, just happened to shoot the the thing that break the transporter. Uh, so we and so now uh, Scotty has to fix that. Uh, and this is at a point where in the in the episode where we kind of get this philosophical discussion about the nature of good and evil in a man. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found it interesting that we're only halfway through the episode and they've got Bad Kirk in custody. Right. And except yep. for a little bit later on, he remains in custody for most of the rest of the episode. So it's not like we've got this manhunt plot going on. They just grab him pretty quick. Right, right. He doesn't get away for very long, which I'm glad they didn't drag it out. That that would that would have been makes it more interesting. So we have like so between Kirk and McCoy, this is a little bit of a discussion in Sick Bay about um at first Kirk is like, I don't want him back. He's an animal. I, but I can't survive without him. Uh, and so he's he's feeling this, you know, this 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 conf- conflict within himself about bringing him back. And then Spock says uh, his negative side, which you call hostility, lust, violence, and his positive side, which Earth people express as compassion, love, and tenderness. So Spock sees the evil side properly controlled and disciplined is what makes a man a leader. So the so-called evil side or the negative emotions and personality traits Uh, it's an interesting viewpoint on that we we have uh, yeah and i want to come back to that in a second but we also have um some kind of amping of the drama because mccoy says that the body function weakened during duplication and that's why these two can't survive permanently without each other and bad kirk starts to actually panic and die at this point and mm-hmm. good Kirk like takes his hand and reassures him and tells him to focus and use his mind and he'll, he can calm down and not die. So apparently he was on the verge of having a fatal panic attack. Right. Um, but then because good Kirk has more self-discipline and he was able to impart some of that to bad Kirk, bad Kirk is able to save himself from panic dying. Um, the, and then McCoy Picking up on, you know, what Spock was arguing says we all need our darker side. And this, I think, is Gene Roddenberry speaking. Um, I mean, I don't know who wrote this episode. I didn't look that up, but it's very much a piece of the Roddenberry philosophy. And frankly, it comes off as a rationalization of evil up to a point. Um, I, I would look at this and say, as a Christian, and say, no, actually, we don't need our darker side. That's broken. 
Um, you can have decisiveness and decision-making and firmness, and all of that can be virtue. Um, you, if we were unfallen, we wouldn't have a problem making decisions. Uh, and so I think philosophically, from a Christian point of view, we need to disentangle this idea that we need our negative side to drive us to do things. Right. Um, we don't. That's broken. And yeah, it it does relate to things that are there that are virtues properly done, but don't confuse things like uh, decisiveness and uh, and firmness with evil. They're not right. the same thing. Right. right. There, just, there, I think there was this movement or this idea in society at some point that these things were related that for a man to be decisive he also had to be coarse you know or mm-hmm. or aggressive toward women right. or you know that sort of thing yeah and, and I, I don't know if that's nietzschean or 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 something along those lines i think it's rationalization is what it is yeah. it's, it's a way to justify what you want to be bad about right it's, well, and it's it's also I think you know a lot of like the the Eastern mystic mysticism yin and yang you know you got a light side and a dark side and it's it's not good and evil it's just there are things we consider positive and things maybe we consider negative, right? But I, I think I think it's also related to the psychology of the period, which was I mean in the mid twentieth century you had all this psychoanalysis stuff and looking at our light side and our dark side and how do they relate and things like yeah. that and it was just pop psychology. Exactly. Not to get too far into uh, un- an unrelated subject, I don't want to get too much into it. But this is what people are talking about when they say they, in the seventies and even eighties, they got bad advice on how to deal with people who otherwise good people who have done horrific things. Uh, mm-hmm. We have to help them integrate those things into their personality, and then once we do that, we can send them back out uh, to the world. Yeah. And yep. that that this is what we're talking about. This sort of thinking where. We have to, you know, we have to abide by evil instead of well, excise it. That's what we've got here. It's, this is the supreme. Let's reintegrate the evil exactly. into the personality, and right. it'll be functional. Right. Yep. So it's a, by, by the way. Yep. By the way, this was written by uh, Richard Matheson. Richard Matheson. Was, okay. Who was a science sci-fi author? Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, the Shrinking Man, which was made into the Incredible Shrinking Man. So he wrote the novel, The Shrinking Man, yep. and some other stuff. So yeah, I've heard that name. Um. Oh, he wrote the I Am Legend too. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. The the book that the movies were based. The on. book. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which is about vampires and not zombies. Right. Well, you know, the, the so you had the Omega Man, which was sort of zombies, and then you had the I Am Legend movie, which was vampire zombies. <laughs> you also have the the Last Man on Earth, the first version of it with Vincent Price. Right. Ooh. Right. 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 Oh wow! Yeah, that's one of those stories that is so good you had to make it three times. Uh, so, uh, so, so they get a patch for the transporter and they down, they, they beam down the animal and then a doll beams back up. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Or a heavily tranquilized dog. No, it's a doll. (laughs) It's a doll. So so the, when they did the beam down, it was the actual dog and then the doll for the evil one. Cause of course they tranquilized the evil dog to get it out. And then when they beamed it back up, it was just the doll. Yes, over which McCoy walks over and says, he's dead, Jim. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I don't know if that's the first one, but it might be. Uh, Spock, uh, now we have Spock giving the captain's log. Uh, the captain is apparently yeah. so indecisive 
He can't make logs. Entry made by second officer Spock. Yes. His rank has become unfixed. He's not the first officer here. He's the second officer. Uh, I mean, is this because so I I, I would guess that was probably a script error. Yeah, that would be my guess, too. Well, the one thing I was going to think about is these episodes in the first season were made out of the order they were broadcast. In fact, there's like several different orders. We're, we've just kind of following um, one particular order that that we that's available uh, in doing these episodes. But there's several different orders that they were. One was they were produced in, and this was this was the fifth. This, this was, was produced the fifth, released the fifth. Okay, but it's numbered so. four. So I don't know what, what what's up with that. Um, but it's not right after um, where no man has gone before, right? Uh, no. in which Gary Mitchell was the first officer. So it's not really a, a holdover from that. Um, but the, some people have, have kind of said online that that's where they thought it was, but it's not. Spock and McCoy, they... they uh, Disagree. What a surprise. <laughs> yes. And they keep pulling Kirk in different directions of what he should do back and forth. And Spock has an interesting identification. He says, He compares it to his own... Vulcan human split. Yeah. So we should explain that because the the hypothesis about why the doll beamed back up instead of the living dog is the animal didn't have the brain power to handle being reintegrated and it like died of shock. And so Spock's hypothesis is, hey, I'm a hybrid, so and I can handle it. So if I can do it, then Kirk, you just need to deal. You've got the you're not a yeah. dog with a horn. You've got the brain power <laughs> to handle being reintegrated. Right. And uh and McCoy is uh you know, I, I don't know what McCoy wants him to do. Live like a like a a a, a, a weeping child. <laughs> I, I, I think McCoy what it, McCoy says is you can't risk your life on a theory. Right. And so I think McCoy is urging he wait longer until they can get a a more suitable proof that the transporter will work without killing him. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which shouldn't be hard. I mean, go to go get a rabbit from sick bay, beam it down, <laughs> let it duplicate, beam it back up, and see if you fix the problem. Right, or bring up the thermal uh, heaters that have split. Yeah, see, so see if thermal heaters can handle being reintegrated. Their good and bad sides. <laughs> so Kirk, because he's you know unable to make decisions, wants someone else to do it. And Spock asks him. Yeah, he even says to- some. He even says somebody make the decision. <laughs> yeah. And then, when, but when Spock says, "Are you relinquishing command?" because that's essentially what that would be doing, Kirk is mm-hmm. emphatic about, "No, I'm not." I mean, there's there's still something in him that still says, "I am in command," and there's still yep. that strength somewhere in there. Uh, and so he gets ready for the transporter. But in the meantime, bad Kirk gets the drop on good Kirk, takes his he uniform, pretends to pretends to be weak, and yeah. get, and for some reason. Kirk, good Kirk alone goes into yeah. sick bay to get bad Kirk down <laughs> no, to the no transporter guy. No <laughs> Spock, nobody else. Just Mr. Weakling, little girl, uh, goes yeah. in <laughs> to take care of the big aggressive Jekyll, uh, or Mr. Hyde, actually, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, um, so he takes it, his uniform, then runs into Rand in the corridor uh, and is, you know, about to menace her again. But then he goes to the bridge and orders the ship to leave orbit and abandon Sulu and the boarding, the landing party, um, which you know the crew is like it uh, says they they can't be saved, right? Um, and the crew, the crew members in the you know the navigator, the helmsman are like um, that doesn't sound right, and uh, yeah. 
and that's at which point the ba- bad Kirk starts, you know, showing his cards and kind of freaking out a bit. Good, good Kirk shows up, and uh, the 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 crew is confused. Uh, no confusion. The real ones, the one who didn't just order them to leave their crew members to die. <laughs> not a it hard is, decision. It, it isn't, so they're screaming at him. <laughs> right. This is not a hard hard thing to figure out here. So they take Kirk back to the uh, to the transport room. The bad Kirk, good Kirk. They uh, good Kirk gives a, a nice bear hug on bad Kirk. Um, they're there. Yeah, the two Kirks hug it out. <laughs> yeah, they hug yeah. it out and get beamed into. That would have been really gross if they just beamed out, beamed back, and they were just one integrated mess. That would have been Ugh. really gross. <laughs> so, sorry to, to bring that up. Uh, so they beam. I guess he shouldn't have bet his life on a theory, huh, Mister Spock? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they they beam him back together. They save the landing party, um, and then Kirk Kirk eventually tells McCoy. I've seen a part of myself no man should ever see. Uh, I think that a, a little um, self-examination is actually good for the soul, Captain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe you should see it. But uh, but point taken. Yep. So then we we end on a really bad note. Bad writing, bad directing, something went wrong. Um, but it sort of is something of, from the time, of the times. And I, I, mm-hmm. I kind of want to mention it because grace lee whitney talks about this in her memoir this particular moment in the episode and and this we should note is part of a writing formula that they would use on star trek where at the end of every episode not every episode but typically they would try to end with something lighthearted, like a little Mm -hmm. joke like maybe a quip between mccoy and spock or something like that or a zinger from kurt right and so this is this is the out joke for the uh for this episode right and as a kid this went over my head but as an adult living in the times we live in this is really strikes a sour note so um kirk rand comes to the bridge kirk's there um rand says uh captain the imposter told me what happened who he really was and i'd just like to say that well sir what what i'd like is and then kirk says thank you yeoman he kind of cuts her off like you don't have to say anything and then Sp- I wasn't sure what she was even going to say at that point. Yeah, I don't I know. I mean, if- she's not about to make a play for the captain here. And so <laughs> right. what is she going to say? I think she's going to forgive him, maybe, or let him off the hook. Like, it really wasn't you, or yeah. you weren't in your right mind, or something along those lines. Hmm. But Spock says, he kind of gets this glint in his eye and says uh, to Rand, the uh, imposter had some interesting qualities, wouldn't you say, yeoman? And... Like the uh, the implication is Spock has picked up on Yo- the yeoman was attracted to the imposter right. or to Bad Kirk, not really an imposter, but to Bad Kirk, and now she's kind of angling a little bit for the captain, right? Like, ooh, maybe he really would be interested in me, but it's so gross. So this is what Grace Lee Whitney um, says in her memoir: I can't imagine any more cruel and insensitive comment a man or Vulcan could make to a woman who's just been through a sexual assault. But then some men really do think that women want to be raped. So the writer of the script, ostensibly Richard Matheson, although the line could have been added by Gene Roddenberry or an assistant scribe... Who, 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 re, who rewrote everything. Right. Uh, gives us a leering Mr. Spock who suggests that Yeoman Rand enjoyed being raped and found the evil Kirk attractive. So so that's Grace Lee Whitney's point of view. Although she also goes on to say that this is one of her favorite episodes that she was in. She just other mm-hmm. other than this, it was a good mm-hmm. episode. Um, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to kind of point that out that as as a a giant flaw in the story that 
it's not just because of the times we live in. It's just it should have been obvious to people then uh, that that, yeah. that you know, like on a family show that airs in prime time, you know, just it's un, it's unfortunate that that this was put there. So I just wanted to say that I mentioned it out there just so that it does we don't gloss over it either. It, Star Trek is great, but sometimes it it missed the sometimes well, it's not. Just remember last last time we talked about TOS, we talked about Mud's Women, so that had plenty of stuff that shouldn't have been on primetime television too <laughs> right so that's true that's true uh so actually we have some feedback about muds women but before we get to that i want to ask you if you've got any uh final notes on enemy within uh father, father Corey? Corey? yeah well the only thing i gotta say is about about yeoman rand i kind of felt sorry for her how long did it take to put that beehive together it had wow. i hope it was a wig i really <laughs> hope it was a wig because yeah. that was like that's elaborately some intricate hairdo weaved <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, uh, Jimmy? Uh, so I had in my note, Shatner's double gets a lot of work in this episode. Um, <laughs> yes, he does. He's got a body double that he's constantly, we're constantly seeing the body double from the back yep. in this episode. There's, I think, only one shot where they actually use a split screen. It's it's where Kirk, the two Kirks are sitting beside each other in sickbay. One of them's in bed, one of them's next to it. And right. I think that's the only split screen shot. Other than that, it's all body double. Well, and that's, yeah, there's uh, down in engineering, there's a couple scenes where you see the body double facing the camera. Yeah, it's like uh-huh. they, they yeah. try to do some quick cuts and other gimmicks, but you you do get a sense yeah. of that's that ain't William Shatner. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, on the bridge, during the bridge confrontation, all of a sudden, uh, there's another mysterious transporter effect. Not only are their personalities changing, but so are the sides of the face on which the double has the scratches. <laughs> Oops. Oops. <laughs> Yeah. Continuity. Uh, yeah, they previously have been on his left cheek, and all of a sudden they're on his right cheek for no apparent reason. Um, uh, also, when they are reintegrating the Kirks, I found I thought it was interesting. They took a really long time. There is, I mean, they're doing it to hype the drama, but they, they beam Kirk out, and then there's this extended waiting period where there is no captain in existence. Right. Yeah. Before they finally beam him back in. And I just thought, wow, this is just, this is so, this is kind of creepy. It's, it's like the captain does not exist right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we could leave him like that or something. <laughs> um, but those are my, uh, those are my other notes. Awesome. Well, we, do, like I mentioned, we do have some feedback from uh, previous episodes on the, the Muds Women episode. We're still getting some uh, feedback on that. Uh, Charles Gervaisi on uh, YouTube writes, I never noticed the biblical references. I didn't know that wiving settlers was a common Wild West theme. And then he said the lie detector was used again in Wolf in the Fold, that they had this whole sequence where the computer was used to detect Mud's uh, lies. And uh, I says, I wonder what the sh- this show is going for with the women as sex objects versus pre-World War II gender roles. The elephant in the room is women as equal partners beyond just cooking, mending clothes, and being emotional. Was that intentional, or were the writers just not thinking of the idea of women being equal? So, you know, so were they were they trying to say women should not just be viewed in their, uh, for, as, like, attractive uh, decorations, and that they should be treated as equals beyond their look? And what I, think, I think they were trying to make them look as equals, but by the understanding that they had at the time, especially, again, Gene Roddenberry. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that fundamentally the script is in favor of not treating women as sex objects all of the time. Right. Um, 
But I, I think Gene Roddenberry's proclivities here are on display. But f- when it comes down to it, at the end of the episode where we really get the authorial viewpoint, it's women are more than sex objects, except when they're not. <laughs> right. Yeah. For Gene Roddenberry. Right. For Gene Roddenberry. Uh, so and then uh, Mark Lindemann has, uh, sends us some, uh, an email, says um, – a long email. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says a couple of things struck me. Somehow the diamond industry has managed to maintain its place as a benchmark of value, even with yeah. some planets raining diamonds. Uh, they say that a lith- a lithium crystal is worth 300 times its weight in diamonds. So, yes, apparently De Beers is still strong <laughs> a few centuries in the future. Um, it's all because of market control. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, he And he also says uh, we we talked about how when they're told they have three days, seven hours of power. It didn't. We mentioned it didn't quite fit with the feel of sh- the time that it takes place in the show. But he says if you take into account the extra energy used to move to a geosynchronous orbit that they needed to do to to cert- do the search for one of the women, uh, that would have used a lot of energy to penetrate the magnetic storm, and it may account for the missing energy. Um, and we know they didn't have a geosynchronous orbit when they arrive, as Kirk says, beam up the the miners when the ship passes over the camp. Geosynchronous means you're over one point continuously. So good catch on that, yep. uh, Mark. That's a, there, that's a good one. There's one thing he mentioned in this uh, this uh, email I thought was kind of funny where he talks about it. Understand gold still having high value due to its use in electronics. But then in DS9, gold-pressed latinum was was valuable, not because of the gold, but because of the latinum within right. the gold. Because there's, yeah. a, there's an episode where they get these riches. Uh, Cork gets these riches, and they open up this vault, and it's all empty bars of gold and he's saying it's worthless gold (laughs) as he's breaking them open trying to find the latinum yeah at some point they say that like a a bar of gold pressed latinum is like 99.5 percent gold and like a very tiny percent of latinum and all that value is but but it's they use gold pressed latinum i think because it's hard to extract the latinum from the gold or something right it's like a liquid or something like that that's inside the gold Someone, someone on this, the Star Trek staff figured out some way to make some a, a a currency of value in a world with replicators. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's uh, that was good. All right, thank you both for your feedback. We really do appreciate it, um, and uh, we we love to get your feedback. And if you'd like to to send us some feedback, I'll give you the all of our contact information in a second. But first, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek, including Armin P. Teresa C., Susan B., Sandra C., and Donna K. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. Uh, what, so what do you think of The Enemy Within this episode? Do uh, you have any comments on what we had to say about it or about the episode itself? We would love to hear from you. You can go to sqpn.com slash trek. You can go to the SQPN Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Uh, you can also send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Well, thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest, and remember, I want to live!